Hello and welcome back to the Vintage Podcast with me, Lena Norms. Now, before we get on to our very Tudor Christmas episode, um, I just wanted to highlight something very exciting that has recently happened on our social channels. I wanted to make sure you didn't miss it. So since the election of Donald Trump as US president, The Handmaid's Tale by Margaret Atwood and subsequently The Handmaid's featured in the book have become a symbol of women's rights standing up against misogyny. Now, for the first time, we are revealing that Margaret has been writing a sequel. I know. Um, The Testaments by Margaret Atwood is the sequel to The Handmaid's Tale and it is narrated by three female characters. It's set 15 years after Offred's final scene. Uh, That's that moment when the van door slams and she's about to be driven off to an unknown future. It's going to be published on the 10th of September 2019, um, and it's available for pre-order now if you are a keen bean like me. You can also sign up for the Margaret Atwood Diaries, which is a very special newsletter uh, where you're going to be getting all the kind of like gossip on the new book, including exclusive editions and tour dates. Uh, So if you want to sign up for that, you can go to po.st slash Margaret Atwood Diaries. As you can imagine, we are all insanely excited here at Vintage. Um, So do follow the Vintage channels at Vintage Books um, if you want to hear more as it occurs. Yeah, I just wanted to tell you that because I was really excited and I wanted to tell other people. And um, I really didn't want anyone to miss the news because it's going to be a really special moment, I think, uh, in the kind of bookish realms and outside it. Um, And as always, I know that Margaret's going to start some really interesting conversations. Um, So without further ado, I'm going to introduce you to two of the best historians in the world. Let's go. So welcome back to the Vintage Podcast. We're so excited for you to be joining us, uh, listening to this very special Christmas episode. Uh, Now, you might assume that our modern Christmases um, owe a lot to Victorians, but... Alison and Siobhan, who are here with me in the studio today, think that you might be wrong. Um, in their beautiful, enchanting um, compendium, A Tudor Christmas, which is full of nuggets about Tudor Christmases, um, uh, we learn that many of our Christmas traditions uh, date back much further than Victorians. So thank you so much for joining us, um, Alison and Siobhan. Thank you. Um, thank, thank you, Nina. Um, thank you for writing such an incredible book. Oh, it's it's already put me in the Christmas spirit, Aww. which might be a little bit early, but I think it's <laughs> very appropriate. Um, now, tell tell me, um, both you're both excellent, brilliant writers. How did you come together to write this book? What's well, the story? I'm not in the same league as Alison. Oh, come on. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Siobhan and I have been friends for many yeah. years. Yeah. I met her when I did an event at Hampton Court and Siobhan was a guide, guide, guide lecturer there, a Tudor wow. historian. Yeah. And we became firm friends. And um, Siobhan, we, we, we decided we were going to do a talk of Royal Christmas. Or did you do it first? Yes, I um, put together a lecture called Royal Christmas actually about five years ago. So oh, it's wow. been going on for yeah. some time. Yeah. But that covers <laughs> the whole history of Christmas right up to the present day um, and Alison and I were asked to do a Christmas event so she covered the early period up right. until the end of Elizabeth's reign and then I would do you know the more modern bit mm. and that's how we split it um, but then it was that we so we did it a few times I think we and did and it yeah, was really popular. Was popular and I had done a, a before that a talk at Hampton Court in a little banqueting house oh, for a Christmas event uh, Christmas at the court of Henry VIII and it was based on on a chapter I wrote for a, a Waterstones little book of light in the late 90s for a charity it was a Christmas book so that was incorporated into my part of it yeah. and then we just had this idea why c- we could use this material 
Tudor because it, it, it's absolutely fascinating. And we thought, well, let's just take out the Tudor stuff and work on that and see what you know, see, see what, what comes of it. it. And that's how that we suggested it to our agent. And fortunately, Kate were delighted. <laughs> we were keen. Um, and both of you are obviously very fascinated by the Tudors. How did you both come to it? Maybe Siobhan tell us. You want me to go first? Um, yeah. Well, my story is very simple, actually. I well, I, I was educated in Scotland, mm-hmm. and we don't study the Tudors mm. because they didn't reign in Scotland. Ah, no, not yeah. a bit of Tudor history. We studied the Stuarts. Mm. But as a child, I watched a very important programme on the BBC called The Six Wives of Henry VIII <laughs> in 1970 with Keith Michel, and it was just so incredible. You must have been a very precocious two-year-old. <laughs> <laughs> well, well I, I was young, I think. I was only about nine or ten. Um, yeah, I, I was little, but I was just... I, actually, and I'm working with a lot of children at Hampton Court Palace, nine-year-olds are completely enchanted with the Tudors. It seems to catch to you at that age oh completely and I just since from then I was hooked but I didn't learn school I had to do my own reading and it's interesting from a Scottish perspective as well one of the Fact is it in the book the um yeah. about um John John Knox, John Knox. taking yeah. the Christmas away from Scott completely as a holiday yeah you only got it back yeah. quite recently 1958 that is we'll have to ask you more yeah. about that in a second yeah. I think. but Alison yeah. tell me a bit about how you came to the Tudors or the well, Tudors came to you well when I was 14 I was off school sick and we marked, my mother marched me out of the doctors and into the library next door because they'd get a book because I'd graduated from books to pop magazines and comics and uh, I was I was very bored and I walked around I saw this rather the luridly jacketed book called Henry's Golden Queen by Lozania Prole, mm. who also wrote as Ursula Bloom. And I devoured it in two days and, <laughs> and I was absolutely you know, hooked. It was about Henry VIII, Catherine of Aragon and Anne Boleyn. And I was, when I got back to my school, City of London School, we had a fantastic school library there with really good, really good history section. And I went dashing off to find out, was this the truth? Did people really go on like that in those days? <laughs> I think it was the sex in the book that actually did it. <laughs> very tame by so modern standards. Yes, it was. <laughs> but no, I mean, I just, and, and there, literally this passion was born overnight. And there I was doing all these projects and writing and mm. all sorts of things plays poetry family trees and history and uh, biography even at 15 and um, my mother was delighted as you can imagine but it's I was always finding trying to find out the truth and I'm still looking for it now it, we all both are yeah I can imagine it sometimes just takes one book doesn't it to it did it took one window. book I can't yeah. read it now <laughs> got it now I think I read that yeah. <laughs> very dedicated um so let's let's think a bit about Christmas in general and I wanted to start with this idea of advent mm. and that being is that was when the first time it was very acceptable to start putting up your decorations is that well no, yeah. not, is that not, not, not no, 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 no. Christmas Eve. Christmas Eve. Yes, was when Advent ended like... on Christmas yes, Eve. So the last the meal was Christmas. a fish. Oh wow! It was Advent <laughs> yeah. Fair. It, it was, was a fa- period was of fasting and atonement. Uh, yeah. So Advent was not like we know it nowadays. Rushing mm. out to the shops and having lots no. of Christmas festivities, you know, and that. It was Christmas it didn't was start a, till Christmas, Christmas Eve. Eve. Wow! So, so it, was, it was a time of abstinence. Yes, it was. That's a big difference with Christmas nowadays, where we have all the office parties and Christmas drinks leading up to have abstinence in January but actually we had to earn our splurge but actually yeah, they celebrated Christmas for 12 days sometimes yeah. more actually 13 if you count the Feast of Epiphany afterwards and sometimes Christmas went on till Plough Monday the first Monday in the new year mm, mm, so it could yeah. go on for longer we have our celebrations before Christmas now we have we yeah. celebrate for like two days and then we do it again at New Year 
Actually, there was something I was going to mention that occurred to me, which I, I find very interesting. Um, so the Victorians had, like, one day off, Christmas Day. That was from 1834. And for a long time, that's that's what people had, a very small mm. Christmas, you know, in the 20th century. Um but our modern Christmases now do seem to have got longer. A lot of people take time off between Christmas and New Year. Yeah. But that seems to be an increasing fashion. They like the sales. And yeah. yeah, just you know, more time to spend with your family. Yeah. Yeah. And in that way, it's similar to the Tudors because having a full long circle period. It yeah. is, and they didn't celebrate all the days in the same way. Did they? They, d- no, you know, it was the different. great feast days, and of course there were saints days, which we no longer observe. St John's Day, when you were supposed to drink quite a lot, and which is quite a nice custom, I think. And and St Thomas's Day, it was yeah. Thomas yeah. Becket, where people went on pilgrimage. Holy Innocents Day, mm. when um, children were actually this is the, the massacre commemorating the massacre of the Holy yeah. Innocents by King Herod. Mm. Children were beaten in their beds in the morning to remind them of the suffering of those children. Yeah. But after that, <laughs> they had a lot of license for the. It was a children's day for the rest of the day. Yeah. I. I think the beating it was probably sim- a token. It, it was symbolic, symbolic. you know. <laughs> but we that, hope so. But we that, do hope so, yes. That's one of the things we would recommend isn't copied into the present. Yes, well, we would. <laughs> there are one or two things we would recommend not, not to be copied. <laughs> so, so what are some of the things that we, we perhaps um, perceive as Victorian that we're wrong about? Well, car- a lot of the carols, carols. we think are Victorian, mm. but actually if you look at the origins of the most Victorian carols, they're back in Tudor or medieval times. Yes, you've like, made We a wish you a Merry Christmas and um, mm. God rest you, Merry Gentlemen. They're, they're 16th century in origin. So the mystery plays as well is something that, that seems to have manifested again as pantomimes. Is that is that right? It's the... That's more from the mumming plays, I think. Some of oh, it comes from plays. the mystery. Because yeah. don't forget the mystery mm. plays, and these are by, performed by the craft guilds. Mystere mm. meant to craft. Yeah. And the, the guilds performed them. And the, the, in medieval times, mm. uh, they, were, they had a very strongly religious themes. I mean, but they were also very entertaining, you know. And that Beelzebub was a very favourite character because there was so much yeah, potential yeah. for comic acting. But they were suppressed at the Reformation, and we're lucky we've got the texts at the Coventry and York cycles. Yeah, some yeah. of the, some of them survive. Yeah, but certainly pantomime is the successor to right. to this, yeah. and you've got themes like defeating. Defeating evil, good defeating evil, mm, and you have. these themes being carried forward in a very simplified form in, in pantomime. And there's another element in pantomime because at Christmas in Tudor times, roles were reversed. Yes. Masters yeah. and servants yeah. sort of play reverse role. There was the Lord of Misrule. Even the king had to obey the Lord of Misrule mm. the, or the Master of Merry Disports. Uh, boy bishops were appointed in place of real bishops. Um, the roles <laughs> of the sexes were reversed. Mm. In Scotland, these were called the daft days. But we see that nowadays. In, I can think the only example I can think of is the pantomime day. Yeah, isn't it? Yeah. But it, it's very, it's a very you know. ancient tradition. It goes back to like the mumming plays and to yeah. and to the and to the mystery plays, of course, which were acted by men. <laughs> Perhaps that's something we can bring back a bit more silliness. <laughs> I, I, I hope we don't have the it. Father Christmas they had in the mumming play because he went round with a club uh, <laughs> about to beat people in the audience who weren't celebrating Christmas as they should <laughs> in the time on the no. fashion. I think it was all very tongue. <laughs> would hope so there's less beating um there's also the kind of idea of food is there anything about food that you discovered that was unexpected um not really i mean i knew something about quite a lot about not, it already yeah. i was quite interested to read that turkey first was first imported yeah. in in 1526 and it was called turkey because people believe it came from not. the orient from turkey yeah. it came from the new world <laughs> that's amazing um, and there's it, also the koyan um 
the it being hidden in food is the, the P and the B. Yeah, the P, the P. Yes. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So mm-hmm. that's for uh, Twelfth Night. Okay. And, and whoever finds the P or the bean will be king or queen for the night. And again, it's getting back to this role reversal uh, type of thing where an ordinary person can then tell everyone else what to do. Um, now, that's interesting because obviously we've, we've lost that. We've lost the 12th night celebrations. Mm. Um, and, and that is clearly linked to the epiphany because if you go to um, Catholic countries today, you will find a lot more of that carrying on, yeah. you know, with nativity, mm. with cribs and and more of that celebration through leading up to Twelfth Night. Epiphany is still important in Catholic countries. Now we've yeah. lost that. Mm. Um, the um, the Victorians um, took the idea of the pea or the bean being, which was originally found in the Twelfth Night cake, and they then had the idea of putting the sixpence of the, the charm bit. in oh, the Christmas the... pudding. Yeah, so that's why yeah. that's why they do that. Kind of, of course, like with the advent of microwaves, that's gone yeah, out a bit of a yes. yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's gone out a bit. As, uh, it comes with a health warning. Um, and the other thing that I thought was really interesting was this this Christmas Day tradition of the, is it the, the butchers' guild who will march a, a head of a boar? To, yes, yeah? like the guild that still mm. do it to do this. They still do it to now? this very mm. day. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, because the boar. I mean, the boar brawn was the. But you wouldn't believe it. Brawn was the most popular food at Christmas, mm. and at court they had to build extra kitchens to cater for the demand. And of course, brawn was mm. part of the boar's head, yeah. and the boar's head was always the first course, and it was borne in with great ceremony. Mm. I mean, mm. however much money people had, but it, to the sound of trumpets in procession on a platter with an apple in its mouth and herbs and flowers decorating and it, was it. it was even gilded. Or painted it on was a status symbol because they'd, they'd almost hunted them to extinction. They, they were very right. rare at this time. Yeah. In fact, the King of France sent Henry VIII the boar yeah. so, we could, so we could hunt it. <laughs> <laughs> That's incredible. And the, this boar, was, it was delivered to the mayor, was it? The, or the, the one in London. Yes. Yeah, as yes. in London, the, it city, is. the yes. city of London. Yes. But great households yeah. would have one. It, it's all a sign of status. And of course, mm. the next course would be lots of wonderful, rich meats. And you know the mo- and and the lavishness. You read the lists of you know the the, the large households catering for so many guests because it was open house. It was your duty mm. to keep open house and to dispense charity at Christmas, so everybody could have a share. Yeah. And then there were there were there were all sort there was a, there was a frumenty was a dessert which became our Christmas pudding. But beforehand, before the dinner as an appetizer, they had plum pudding. <laughs> and which was, which later evolved. I think. I think that is also a forerunner. The two together yeah. would make Christmas yeah. pudding. pudding. Yeah. yeah. And the cake was a twelfth night cake. They didn't have a cake on Christmas Day. Really. And no presents exchanged till New Year. Yeah. Because New Year. There's the common misconception that Boxing Day was about presents, but that was actually no, about the charity. No. It was about the charitable it? boxes yeah. in churches were open. The arms yeah. boxes in churches mm. were opened. Yes. Yeah. And, and Boxing Day wasn't a public holiday mm. in England until 1870. I think it was 1874, and in Scotland until something like 1973. <laughs> wow. I know. My, my, my husband's Scots. He remembers guys, people. He remembers his father going to work on Christmas Day. Yeah. Wow. Because yeah, it wasn't. Mm. So, so from all, all of your research around Christmas, do you think we do it better now, or do you think we've really got some stuff to learn from the Tudors? 
they did a lot the way we did. I mean, obviously, mm. religion predominated, and they mm. went. People went to church on Christmas morning. Yes. You you couldn't yeah. use yeah. any conveyance. You had to walk to church by law. Well, no horses. No, no, no horses. No, you had no, to walk to yeah, church. Yeah, that was a law that was passed in the reign of um, Edward, Henry's son. Oh, yeah. Um, Edward the Sixth uh, mm. to say that you had to walk to church, and that it's a, one of those weird laws that's never been repealed. It's still in. And it's still it's and it's still, still illegal place. to eat mince pies on Christmas because at the common they were banned at the Commonwealth because yeah. they were huge. They were really big raised pies and they were, with mi- shredded meat and the fruits and spices. Yeah. In. And the problem was that they were called nativity pies and they were shaped like. Crepes. They had a pastry um, baby Jesus looked, on the top, and that's what the Puritans. Oh, they didn't like to. that. No. So they, they made were that banned. Illegal. So it was the nativity. I've been committing a lot of crimes. <laughs> Yeah. And they but played games that but people people entertained, they yeah, visited people yeah. very much in the spirit, but much more of it. Yeah. You know, that it was that was more concentrated. But I suppose we're doing that piecemeal beforehand with the parties and the, yeah. the you know, things yeah. we, I think things in we an, do. In answer to your question, I would have no. to say that I think they did it better. Yeah, I do. Yeah. I think I had the true could, spirit of it. Yeah. Mm. And it wasn't I mean, yes, it yes, a lot of money could be spent. I mm. mean Henry Henry VIII spent a lot of money on keeping Christmas court. Um mm. and even on gifts. Um, you know, one year in fifteen eleven he spent the equivalent of four hundred thousand pounds. <laughs> Good on, guy to know, uh, Chris. I mean, <laughs> on, on gifts, so so there could be huge extravagance, but for most people, um, it wasn't it wasn't commercial, and even mm. for the Victorians, actually, they, the gifts used to be really tiny. Gifts were so small you could actually hang them on the Christmas tree. Yeah. Yeah. It was only later when the retailers got involved and gifts got bigger, they had to go under the tree, and right. I think for me that has spoiled. Christmas, our modern Christmas, it's too commercial. It is too mm. commercial. You get With, to the stage of have a new sofa for Christmas, this sort of, everybody's yeah. getting in on the end. And people feeling they have to go out and buy lots and lots and lots of presents, whereas I think it's more important to spend time with your friends and so family, too. have nice food. Mm. And the other thing that I think they did better, the Tudors did better, was the decorations. Yes. Yeah. All the lovely wonderful. greenery, the, s- the cinnamon, the, the, the smells, the, the scents, of all, you know, the berries and everything, and the seasonal greenery mm. which they would bring in. But they didn't have a tree. There is one record of a tree with decorations being set up in a London street in the late 15th century, and then nothing until you get to the 18th century, yeah. and Queen Charlotte Queen sets Charlotte. up one at Windsor, Windsor, but it doesn't catch on, and it's not till 1848, is it? The, when uh, yeah. a Victorian but a picture of them with a tree appears in the Illustrated London News and everybody wants a tree. That's right. So they had a kissing bough, which yeah. was holly and bay and yeah. mistletoe and oh, ivy and, and it would be studded with fruits and things. It would hang up and, of course, people did kiss under the kissing bough. That's lovely. Yeah, yeah no, I think so as, as well because of this kind of like period of, of abstaining from things, things felt probably more like a celebration, whereas now we're starting... To it. You imagine <laughs> how they felt. We've got all this feasting to come, yeah. you know. Yeah. It's going to be wonderful, you know, and even... I, the poorest people and laid by mm, what they nowadays could. we can eat more or less whatever we want mm. you know so everything's within reach mm. for the Tudors the, the majority of people had a plain diet mm. it would be quite a monotonous mm. diet yeah. so the chance of having these treats these really tasty foods would be mm. something to really look forward to mm. yeah that's true in contrast of indulgence yeah. mm. it was mm. yeah and of course it's a hunting season so meat is plentiful Yes. So, yeah. you know, but I mean, we're talking, and in many cases, we're talking about the upper classes or the middle yeah. classes who can afford yeah. it. Mm. The poorer people celebrated as best they could yeah, or got sense. charity. Yeah. You know. 
in a more broader sense, um, your both of your I wouldn't call it obsession. <laughs> a, a very keen interest. <laughs> um, a very keen interest is radiating from both of you about the Tudors. What what would you say to people who are like, oh, do you know what? I actually don't know that much about the Tudors. Should I spend some more time learning about them? What yeah. would you say to those people? Yeah. What what's because so special as, about as, them? As we always say, it's better than fiction. It is because you couldn't <laughs> you couldn't make dramatic it up. Period. You couldn't, you couldn't make it yeah. up. It's a king with six wives, yeah. two are beheaded, and a sixteen year old girl becomes yeah. queen for nine days yeah. uh, burning of the martyrs there's Elizabeth mm. the first the first successful female monarch and a real survivor yeah. and uh, Mary Queen of Scots the yeah. Armada you just couldn't the Reformation I mean it's just such a colourful yeah. period mm. and these larger than life people and also it's the first period in English history for which we've got one, a wealth of really good source material mm. Yeah, and the royal marriage comes into focus too because of Henry VIII's divorce from Catherine of Aragon and therefore ambassadors are taking a greater interest no details too trivial to be reported yeah, all the gossip. Yeah. yeah, and it's this great. This coincides with the spread of printing and, dis- and diplomacy. Mm. Yeah. So you, you know, we, it's 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 vividly illuminated for us. Also, with wonderful portraiture for the first time yeah. in our history. Yeah. And it's a period of magnificence. You go to Hampton Court where Siobhan works. It's you can see you can see how magnificently Henry VIII lived. Yeah, and I suppose it's it's probably strange because it's, it's some in some ways so different from what we know, and then in some ways there's so m- so many similar mm. obsessions and so many similar celebrations and you know, the obsession with the royals and the and the play of power between yeah. switching between yeah. things and yeah. the anxiety around power and who gets it. I think is oh, absolutely, very... yeah, and very much that predominates, doesn't it, at the <laughs> Tudor court? Mm, mm, mm. Yeah, I imagine. Well, thank you, thank so you. much well, for your wonderful book and for coming to so talk to us about Christmas. Oh, thank you I'm very feeling much. very much in the it. Christmas season. Thank you. So am I actually. I think. <laughs> well, thank you both. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to the Vintage Podcast. Here we've been exploring a few different ways to have Christmas. Uh, this week it was a Tudor Christmas. Last week we were talking about Icelandic Christmases, so make sure you don't miss that episode. Do subscribe if you enjoyed this episode. Uh, we're available on iTunes, wherever you listen to podcasts, and we are now available on Spotify. So if you want to pop over there and subscribe, um, knock yourself out thank you so much for listening and until next time 